You can be seated. All right, my name is Pastor Dan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and today I have the privilege of opening up the scriptures to you. And my big idea this morning is to convince you guys, just as uh, Pastor Matt was uh, preaching to our little kids, convince you guys that God's mission is a global rescue plan. That God's mission is a global rescue plan. All right. Have you guys ever been in a hopeless or helpless situation? A situation where you're in, a, you're in your present circumstances, you can do nothing about it to get out or make it better. That you were uh, left to your own devices, not able to change your present circumstances or your situation, and maybe you got frustrated or, or you got angry or uh, you lost sleep over the situation or... Worst of all, maybe you just forfeited your entire will to do anything about it. I've had a few moments of like that in my life, um, but and I and I mean this in the most melodramatic way possible. But in 2003, uh, that year was probably the darkest year of my life. In 2003, the Chicago Cubs had. A great baseball team. They were on fire heading into the National League playoffs. They had the best pitching rotation that, baseball, uh, that, that, that existed in baseball. They had Mark Pryor, Kerry Wood, Carlos Zambrano, El Toro. They had the pitching rotation of all pitching rotations. They were winning games. They were headed into the National League playoffs. And every single sports pundit, every single expert said that the Chicago Cubs were going to make the World Series and quite possibly win it. You guys know anything about sports or anything about life? You know that the word Chicago Cubs and World Series never should be in the sentence together. And so, when I heard that, I got really excited. The reason why those two things don't belong together is because in 1908, That was the last time the Chicago Cubs made it to the World Series and actually won. So if you're counting, in 2003, that's 95 years since the Chicago Cubs had won the World Series. What that means is there has not been, in 2003, there was not one living human being who was alive to see the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. In fact, it's so bad in Chicago that we as Cubs fans have uh, this urban legend to this day that we believe in. That there was a man that once brought a billy goat into Wrigley Field and was kicked out, and because he was kicked out, he cursed the Chicago Cubs, and because of that curse, we are facing losing season after losing season after losing season. You guys know why superstitions exist, right? Because we can't deal with reality. And so, you guys know the term scapegoat? We literally have a scapegoat. After every losing, losing season, we put our failures and our failed expectations onto this billy goat, and we feel better about ourselves. So, 2003 was a bright and glorious year for me going into October, and so you wouldn't blame me if I had uh, some raised expectations and some hope going into that playoff series. Once the playoffs uh, started, 
The Cubs did exactly as the sports experts expected. They ran through a bunch of teams, won a bunch of series, and they made it to the uh, National League Championship Series. This seven-game series, right, they were up three games to two. Entering into game six of that playoff series, they were uh, five outs away from making it to the World Series for the first time in a lot of years. Five outs. Top of the eighth inning. One and two-thirds innings left. They were going to make it to the World Series by winning one more game. So I was excited. Standing on my couch, screaming, running up and down my college dorm room, shouting at the top of my lungs, losing my voice. I was excited. And then the pitch. The pitch comes. Uh, Florida Marlins swings, hits the ball. It's a soft pop fly to left field. It's just floating in the air, going towards the foul line, going kind of towards the crowd, but it looked like it was going to land in the playing field. So the left fielder comes in comfortably jogging underneath this ball, puts his glove up, ready to catch this ball. And then my world started to crumble. You guys all know the story, I think. This fan reaches out and tries to grab the ball. He's not playing. I don't know why you would do that. He tries to grab the ball and catch it. And so he gets in the way of the ball and deflects the ball into the stands, and the ball falls into the stands, and the out that was supposed to be never happened. They were supposed to be four outs away from a World Series uh, entrance, ticket into the World Series, and it never happened. My world began to crumble. I stopped breathing. (laughs) I just sat there, slumped over on my couch in disbelief about what was happening. And the thoughts of failure and years of losing and this curse came back to haunt me. And if it matters, were made worse, Fox, I think was Fox that was playing this, replayed this thing over and over again, analyzing it from every single angle, making you know exactly how the Cubs lost their way into the World Series. And so, to make matters worse, this wasn't the end of it, because they would have had another chance, right? They have more batters coming up, and they could have uh, had more outs, and so a couple batters later, uh, somebody hits a soft ground ball to shortstop. The shortstop, the shortstop, literally, uh, he's a major league shortstop, so he would have turned double plays like this in T-ball. He takes the, he gets the ball, takes it on a bad hop, leaves the ball dead on the ground, and every base runner makes it safely to the base. And I just sat there, run after run after run after eight total runs sat there watching in disbelief, seeing my Cubs lose this game. This is what the Cubs were good at. The Cubs were good at raising your hopes, giving you some idea of grandeur and some hope at the end of the tunnel, and then crashing them down on the sharpest rocks possible. This is my life as a Cubs fan. We love a team that loses very well. 
We love this team even though we know there's no future ahead. The future, there's only one certain future, it's failure. And this certain future came to haunt us that year. We never made it to the uh, World Series. We lost the series in seven games. And ever since then, we never had a chance like that. I want you to own that sense of hopelessness I feel as a Cubs fan right now. Because this is the place we find ourselves as we enter into Revelation 5. Revelation 5 gives us this picture of a hopeless, hopeless situation, and we enter it right now. And I want to quickly run through this vision that John has of our hopeless situation this morning. Because unless we get there, unless we see the hopeless circumstance in which we are all part of, this hopeless condition that we have, we won't gladly embrace the incredible hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless we see the dark state of our souls, the dark state of our world, we won't gladly enroll into God's glorious hope for the nation. So I want to read for us Revelation 5, this glorious vision of John of the state of the world. Starting from verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was, sealed, uh, who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Let's be real. We are all hopeless and desperately needy. That's what the scripture is telling us. We are all unable to do anything about our present circumstances, this hopeless circumstance that we're in. We're all hopeless. Think of all the major uh, uh, people in your life that you think have it all together. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, every pope that has ever existed, every single one of us is hopeless. We are desperate and we are needy. You know why? Because we are all fallen beings. We are all in a condition that's broken. And not just broken like we need somebody to come and fix us. We are not just unlucky. We're not just lacking. We're not the Chicago Cubs that are lacking the skills necessary to make it and be a championship caliber team. We're not lacking. We're not just broken. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead in our sin. We're dead. We're not just hurting. We're not just broken. We're dead. And John looks around. He looks at all these people gathered around the throne of God and he, he sees that no one is able to open the scroll. He sees that no one is able to approach God in their own merit and open the scroll. And the angel asks, who's worthy? Come and open the scroll if you're worthy. And the whole heavens become hush. No one approaches God's throne. Not even the angels, not the cherubim, not the seraphim. Not the elders, nobody. 
nobody is able to go. And we know from subsequent uh, scriptures that this scroll held within it the redemptive purposes and plans of God. God was opening up his redemptive plans for creation in this scroll if someone was able to open it. Notice how the question is not who's strong enough. Notice how the question is not who's courageous enough. The redemptive purposes of God, the redemptive plans of God are not opened up by sheer will or desire or strength. The question is who is worthy enough? And John begins to weep. John begins to weep loudly at the situation. Not one person was worthy enough because not one person in history was or is or ever will be without sin. Not one person. No one in history will ever be able to approach the throne of God in their own merit. And John weeps. Our condition is hopeless. But then an elder speaks up. And he exhorts John in Revelation 5.5. Let's read this together. He says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. From the darkness bursts forth light, bursts forth hope. This is the gospel. Someone's come to rescue us. Someone has come into our hopeless situation and our condition and has come to rescue us. Let's keep reading uh, verse 6 to 7. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The one who has come to rescue us in our hopeless state was a lamb who was slain. All right, you might be saying, all right, dude, you're telling me that a lamb that was slain that is dead is the hope of the world? Bro, that doesn't sound very hopeful to me. Let's... Read carefully verse 6. It says, Between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw what? A lamb standing as though, as, it, as though it had been slain. This lamb was standing. This lamb was not laid dead on the ground. Still, he was standing. It had once been dead, but is now Standing, this lamb is the risen Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead. He is the promised savior of the world who had once been slain, dead, buried, three days later, resurrected from the dead, standing victorious over sin, Satan, and death. This lamb was standing. See, death could not hold Jesus because the scripture says the wages of sin is death. Jesus was sinless. Death had no authority over him. Jesus the Lamb is standing. We are hopeless. We are all helpless. But Jesus is our resurrected rescuer. 
And I want you to know and believe this truth. Because until we, don't, we believe this, we won't believe the rest of the stuff. Until we know that we are all dead in our trespasses, but God being rich in mercy with the love which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And not only that, he has raised us up with him. He has raised us up, seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, guys. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. Because we are all his workmanship. In Christ, we were all made for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Believe that gospel truth. Believe it. So you get it. Get it. God's mission is to rescue us. God's mission is to rescue his people. You get it. But how is God's mission a global rescue plan? How is it? Let's read verse 5, Revelation 5, 8 to 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign over the earth. God's mission is a global rescue plan. His desire from the beginning of history to now to the end of history is that he would rescue a people for himself from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people, every nation. From the beginning, from Genesis, God came to Abraham, called him, and said, I'm going to make you a great nation, singular. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour my love into you. I'm going to pour my grace and my mercy into you as a people. And I intend that you are then going to bless the nations and families of this world, plural. Started with Israel and intends to bless every nation. Paul picks this up in Romans where he sees this call on us as God's people. And he says in Romans uh, 1 verse 5, he says, We have received this grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And again in Galatians 3 verse 8, Paul says this, and he sees how, how the call on Abraham applies to us Christians now. And he says, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. 
this is the promise of God. This is the promise of God from the beginning of history to the end of history. It will come to pass. There will be a day when every nation, tribe, tongue, language, and people will gather before the throne of God, worshiping him to the end of our days. But that day is not today. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel, this gospel will go out into all the world as a testimony of, uh, as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. I'll tell you something. The end has not yet come. That means the mission is not yet finished. God's mission is a global rescue plan. We are all called to go and love and pray for the gospel to go and advance in all the nations. There are over 16,000 people groups in our world today. 16,000. Over, over half of them are unreached people groups. Over half of them have not heard the gospel preached them. 43% to be exact people groups have no churches among them in their native tongue preaching, faithfully preaching the gospel to them. They're unreached. That means that there are no native people among them faithfully witnessing the gospel and the kingdom of God to them. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. That's seven, over 7,000 people groups. That's 2.87 billion people that are just unsaved. I mean, sorry, not just unsaved, but they do not have access to the gospel. They do not have access to someone preaching the gospel clearly to them so that they could believe. Romans 10, for everyone who called upon my name will be saved, right? But how, they, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? How are they to, how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach without being sent? And the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, I know some of us uh, are probably not thinking. Uh, I don't expect any of us really to be thinking, well, I don't care. I don't care what God has in store for the nations. I don't care what, it, what God's plans for the nations are because we have enough problems in our city. I don't expect you guys to be there. I don't care what happens in North Korea because we have enough problems on the North Shore. I don't expect you guys to be there. But if you are, man, I would encourage you guys to read through the Scriptures. Let the Scriptures speak clearly to you and see if it doesn't clearly call you to see that God's plan is not just for us here, that God's plan is for the nations. But what I do suspect some of us are feeling right now is the tension, is a tension between saying, I get it. I get it, Dan. I, I've always got it. I know that God loves India as much as he loves Medford. I get it. But how am I supposed to be involved in God's global mission while I'm involved in God's local mission? 
how do I give myself and be faithful to my neighbors on my block as well as being faithful to God's global rescue plan across all the nations? How do I do that? It seems impossible. I can't be in two places at once. I don't know how it's going to be done. There's a very clear tension. And I don't expect for that tension to be resolved because I would courageously ask you to hold that tension to the glory of God. God's global rescue plan may or may not include you as a primary agent of blessing to the nations. For some of you in this room, you might be scared. You've heard the sermons about going to the nations and God's uh, plan for the nations, and, and you always, when you hear that, you always get scared because you're afraid that God's going to call you to go and pack up and leave your family and, and all these comforts and, and go to the nations, and you, right now you're probably plugging your ears or trying to think about anything other than what's happening right now because you don't want to feel that call, and it's okay. Unplug your ears. I want to assure you that probably most of you in this room are not called to go across the waters here. Crazier things have happened, so don't come to me later and say, hey, you promised me, you said I'm not going to be called to the nations, but it's probably true that most of you are called to be right here, to preach the gospel faithfully in these cities around Boston. But, but for some of you, some of you, more than just a few of you, God is calling you to go to the nations. God is calling you to go and proclaim this gospel, the gospel of the risen lamb who is standing, the lion of Judah who has conquered, the person that is rescuing everyone from a hopeless and helpless state. He intends you to he intends to use you to be the primary agent of blessing in an unreached people groups to raise up an indigenous church that will proclaim the gospel faithfully to them. Some of you will stay right here faithfully serving God's mission to the glory of God. And some of you will receive that call and go faithfully serving the mission of God to the glory of God. Either way, you are all missionaries. I don't want you to miss that. You are all missionaries. You are all called to be an integral part of God's global rescue plan. It's not local mission versus global mission. It's not sender versus sent. We're always senders and always being sent. None of us are merely financiers of God's mission. We're all missionaries. None of us, there, there's no upper management in Jesus' church that is a, above and beyond being a missionary. All of us have our feet on the ground and we're supposed to be missionaries, loving and proclaiming the gospel of truth to our neighbors. And if you're a missionary that's called to stay right here, locally, in these cities, 
you're called to live faithfully among your neighbors, proclaiming the gospel among them to all the hundreds of people groups represented in our cities and asking the Lord of the harvest to do work here and also to raise up workers out there where the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. For some of you that are called to go, you're called to go. Be obedient. Be obedient. That's the best and happiest place you can be. Obey God's call in your life and go. And when you go, do the same as I just told all our local missionaries. Go and love your neighbors faithfully, asking the Lord of Harvest to do great work here and also to do great work abroad in Boston, in New York, in L.A., all over the United States, all over these cities and nations. Be a local missionary that's globally involved. Be a local missionary wherever you are, Boston, Africa, and be globally involved. If you're a missionary that's called to go to the nations and you have yet to answer that call, man, I want to I encourage you guys today. It's the best and happiest place for you to be obedient to Christ's call. Do it. If you're a missionary already out in the nations, Love your neighbors. Love them. Proclaim the gospel to them. If you're a missionary here, love your neighbors. Proclaim the gospel to them. Uh, Pray that God raises up churches all over these cities, all over these nations, so that the gospel can go forth and the kingdom of God would advance everywhere to the glory of God so that the end will come and Jesus will be glorified. I don't want us to be fooled into thinking that America is the hope of all the nations. I don't want us to be fooled in thinking that if we don't do this right, that we're, we're, we're done, that this is not going to happen. God's mission is not going to advance if we don't send out the missionaries, if we don't get involved. That's not how it works. Far from it. The kingdom of God is advancing far greater in the southern and eastern hemispheres and parts of the world than they are in the northern and western parts of the world. Churches are being planted faster in South America and Asia than they are in Europe and America. All I want you guys to see and catch a hold of and a vision for is God's mission being a global rescue plan. Seeing it beyond just our neighbors on our block and seeing it all over the world and being encouraged that God is doing a work all across the world. So I want to give you some questions to chew on and work through in your gospel communities. I want to ask you guys, what is keeping you from seeing your identity as a missionary? What's keeping you from seeing your identity as a missionary, giving your life to God's mission as a global rescue plan? What's keeping you? What's keeping you from giving your life to accomplishing the mission that God has given for you? And maybe that's being called to go out to the nations. If you haven't answered that call, what's keeping you from answering that call on your life? I don't want you guys to miss that call because that might be the most obedient thing you can do, the most happiest, joyous thing you can do 
to be obedient to God in that way. Some of you might be called to be faithful here in these cities. And how are you maintaining uh, the, the tension of local and global mission here in these cities? How are you intending to grow in local mindedness and global mindedness? Right? I challenge you to study your culture, study Bostonian, study your city, study your people, love them. Read the local newspaper, newspaper, see what's happening in current events, pray towards that end, but also grow in your global mindedness. Learn about these cultures outside of ours. Read about the current events, pray globally that God would do a work across our borders, and God will enlarge your heart for the Bostonians and for the nations. I hope you guys catch a vision for the gospel being huge. I hope you guys catch a vision for the gospel being a gospel that says the rescuer is coming into our hopeless situation where we are dead in our trespasses, not able to do anything about our situation. And the gospel says that this rescuer, this lion of Judah, the conqueror, the lamb of God who was slain but now is standing, has come to rescue his people. And I hope you guys hear that gospel and want to see that gospel advance not just here in Boston but across to every single nation and people group to the glory of God because that's his plan. But the gospel of God is about a God who enters into our hopeless situation to give us an eternal hope. Let's pray for that gospel to go to the nation. Father, we are amazed and astounded that this gospel first came to us. God, that you, for some reason, rescued us even when we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead because of our sin. You sent a rescuer. You sent someone worthy enough strong enough to pull us out and give us life. Father, I also pray that you would make us believe that this gospel is big enough to rescue all the unreached people groups of our world today. That the 43% of the unreached people groups that exist today, that you would do your work in rescuing people from among them that you would send missionaries out to be planted uh, in those nations and that you would plant churches that will plant churches and be faithful in proclaiming the gospel in their native tongue so that the glory of God can spread across the whole earth. God, we pray towards that end. Let us do that here well in these cities in Boston to support well those brothers and sisters across in different nations. And God, I pray that you would advance the gospel, the kingdom of God, as a testimony to the nations that the end will come, that you would receive glory, that every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation would give you glory to the end 
of every age that we would keep singing and singing and singing for you to receive glory. We pray that you would do these for your glory, for our joy.